Welcome to Smith Memorial Online. We're glad you joined us today. We're located in Collinsville, Virginia. At Smith Memorial, our motto is simple, follow Jesus. We'd like to encourage you to check us out online, www.smithmemorialumc.com. There you can find out more information about us, opportunities to serve, and ways to support this ministry through giving. We pray that God would add blessing this day to the hearing and the doing of God's Word.
first reading from today will come from 1 Corinthians, chapter 1, verses 10 through 12. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement, and that there be no divisions among you but that you be united in the same mind and in the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Moving forward, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, picking up in verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one spirit. Indeed, the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot would say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make any any less a part of the body. And if an ear were, were to say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would its hearing be? If the whole body were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many members, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor can the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members of the body that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body. But the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together with it. If one member is honored, all rejoice together with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then deeds of power, then gifts of healing, forms of assistance, forms of leadership, various kinds of tongues. All, are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all 
interpret, but strive for the greater gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Friends, these are the words of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Merciful God, you are precisely just that, merciful, slow to anger and steady in your love. You know the sinfulness of my flesh, and yet you also balance that with the desires of my heart. May these words in which I speak be transformed somehow into a word for your people and for me. Bless the hearing and bless the receiving. Place your cross before me and let none see me but you and your grace alone. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Happy February. It's hard to believe we're already in February. Which, by the way, means we're only, we just finished Christmas? Mm-hmm. We're like four weeks away from starting Lent and getting ready for Easter. Friends, over the next couple of weeks, I want us to be very intentional. Um, during the Lenten season, I'm going to call us to a greater intentionality of a life of prayer and a life of discernment. This is what Lent does for us. It gives us an opportunity to dive deep into our own depths to discern how we are and how our soul is with God. But I mentioned that we're almost in the season of Lent because while I'm going to talk about that on Ash Wednesday in a few uh, weeks from now, I want to challenge you all to also participate in another spiritual discipline. And that is this. Make the month of February, particularly the Sundays in February, a spiritual discipline to be present. Now you might ask, well, why? Why this month and why these Sundays? Friends, if you would recall that over the course of the last several years, It's no secret, the universal church has found itself in a divide over several areas of disagreement. I don't just speak about the United Methodist Church, the universal church. And it's not just on one issue, it's a broad spectrum of issues. Now, if you are United Methodist, like you all are, you would know that our most pressing question concerns the inclusion of LGBTQ people into the life of this church. Now, I say the life of the church, I I don't mean um, LGBTQ people into the, the congregation of Smith Memorial. I mean for them to be able to experience 
the full range of the church. Now equally, if you have been awake during this time, you might know that in just a few short weeks, representatives from all around the world, places like the Philippines, Europe, Asia, Africa, and even us in the States. Roughly 1,000 people made up of laity and clergy will be convening in St. Louis, February 23rd through the 26th of this month to address the future of our global denomination concerning these matters. And lastly, and I don't think it's too hard for you all to imagine, if you've been awake in our country, you might be able to guess that we are highly divided concerning the appropriate action to take. Highly divided. We have found ourselves as a country, as a church, and yes, even as a local community, deeply separated by the growing gap of differences amongst us. And strangely enough, this gap is not separating believers from non-believers. That's not the question that's at hand. It's not separating thus in, those of us inside of the church from those of us outside of the church. What it's separating is friend from friend, family from family. It is deeply penetrating our pews and our people. These differences are causing members of Christ's body, people like us, to speak of one another uncharitably and to view each other unfavorably. And to be honest with you, and you all might be able to say amen, the whole thing is quite exhausting. You see, it's this divide amongst the family of God. Not the questions around human sexuality or any of the other hundred issues that are dividing us today that I want to be specifically addressing over the course of the next several weeks leading into our special called General Conference. And I want you all to make it a discipline to be present. It is hard to speak about unity in the church when the church is not gathered together as a whole to speak about it. I'm deeply convinced. I'm deeply convinced that the tradition of the church and her holy scriptures are clear concerning the relationships and interactions that we as her members are intended to have with one another. Therefore, over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking to St. Paul and his interactions and instructions to another local church experiencing an internal divide, the church in Corinth. We'll use this as our model. This topic of how it is in which brethren, men and women, gather together in unity, is unfortunately an uncomfortable conversation for a lot of us. And yet, it's one that must be addressed because not even around the issues of LGBTQ, we as church members have lost what it means to speak charitably of one another. 
You see, when Paul came to Corinth, he planted this metropolitan port city church during one of his missionary journeys. Corinth was a booming city. It's a lot like New York City. Given its location, the city was filled with people from diverse faiths, diverse thoughts, diverse traditions. And this diversity bled into the very fabric of Paul's church as they learned how to be shaped and formed into a new people through the power of the Spirit. When Paul writes to the church, he's writing his little church to address concerns about their divisions. And their divisions cover a very broad spectrum. His followers are divided by teachers of the Gospels. You heard that from today. Some of you say, I follow Paul, and some of you say, I follow Peter, and some of you say, I follow Cephas, and I follow Christ. And so they're divided over teachers of the Gospel. They're divided over questions concerning how to approach Holy Communion, something we will be doing shortly. They're divided over whether or not food could be eaten after it had been sacrificed to idols. They are divided over who has the better spiritual gifts. And of course, who can forget that lovely story in 1 Corinthians 4, where they were divided over what to do with the man who was sleeping with his mother. These differences, these differences that the people were having with one another were leading to public trials. Public lawsuits conducted outside of the walls of the church. A church member raising a complaint against another church member. Taking each other to court over what each is deeming a punishable offense. I imagine if you close your eyes and ponder for a few moments that imagery, you might find yourself easily imagining the scene. Two people who strongly disagree taking each other to court over the matters. Now I want to ask you, despite all of those differences that I mentioned previously, the Holy Communion, the food sacrifice to the idols, the gifts of the Spirit, the uh, questions around teachers of the Gospel, do you know which area infuriated Paul the most? Here's a hint. Paul was not infuriated that they had differences amongst one another. What Paul is infuriated about is that they left it up to those outside of the faith to make a ruling of justice. Considering they've left it up to those outside of the faith to make a ruling of justice concerning those who consider justice in a totally and radically different way from this world. You see, Paul is making a huge assumption here. An assumption that I'm not so certain that Paul would still hold if he saw the church today. And that assumption is this. 
The assumption that Paul is making is that those inside of the church, because they have heard and received the gospel of Jesus Christ, that they are in fact more just, more compassionate, and therefore more capable of making a ruling that wouldn't lead to the detriment of the body. Did you hear that? Paul is making an assumption when he is ticked off about people taking one another to court outside of the walls of the church because Paul seems to think, perhaps naively, that those of us inside of the church, because we have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, will be more just, more compassionate, and therefore more capable of acting in such a way that the body itself will not be broken and our mission forsaken because of our differences. Now this rationale only works if you believe that those of us who gather inside of these walls week after week are indeed being transformed by the renewing of our minds. It only works. Paul's assumption that we shouldn't take one another to court outside of the walls because those outside of the walls would not have the same mind as those inside of the walls. This only works if you believe that those of us who gather week after week are indeed being transformed by the renewing of our minds so that the justice that we seek fits the justice displayed on the cross. The justice that the church seeks is a self-giving justice for the sake of the other concerning the renewal of all things that have gone wrong. Paul is deeply worried that when church member takes church member to court, that they will receive worldly justice in which everyone gets what they deserve. Friends, if you cannot tell that that is not the justice of the cross where you get what you deserve, then we have missed the gospel. Because the justice of the cross is that you get what you do not deserve, which is the love of God. You see, this unifying justice that models the self-giving way of the cross is at the heart of Paul's message concerning the division and differences in his church by the time we get to chapter 12, our reading from today. In chapter 12, Paul urges the church to seek a greater unity from within. A unity that relies heavily on all the parts of the body working for the same mission while realizing the diversity of both gifts and functions that each bring to the table. Paul, using the imagery of his day, urges this little fledgling church of his to celebrate the unique gifts that each one of them bring while realizing that the gift giver represents only a part of the whole. Now it's important to note 
that when Paul speaks of unity, he does not imply a picture where everyone looks, talks, acts, and thinks the same way. We often confuse unity, that is, a group of people bound together in one accord, with uniformity, a group of people bound without differences. And I believe that we do this. We confuse unity with uniformity. Because it's much easier to gather with people who are like ourselves than it is to reach across the divisions that mark our culture. It's relatively painless to live within a group of people who always think you're right. And they think you're right because we've gathered with people that look, sound, and act just like us. If you think about it, when we talk about the other, oftentimes, the other is not even in the room to give them and to give us our point of view. It's painful when we are challenged. It's painless when we all agree. But friends, homogenous communities, communities that all look exactly alike, are the opposite of the kingdom that Christ has initiated through his death and resurrection. If you think that I'm incorrect on this point, that we as people tend to gather with people exactly like us, then just ask yourself this question. How many of our churches truly reflect the ethnic, social, and economic diversity of the neighborhoods around them? How many of our churches truly reflect so when we look around at our brothers and sisters, we see diversity amongst us? The answer is that our congregations are oftentimes very homogenous. And we are, sadly, comfortable with that. But Paul, in his letter to the church in Corinth, insists that the church becomes something richer than that. Paul grounds his notion of the beloved community in the belief that the church is intended to be a foretaste of the final reconciliation of all things that God has promised. Paul calls the church to start acting that way. Thus, diversity within the church is not a problem to be avoided, solved, or managed. But diversity is a gift of God's grace and a sign of the Spirit at work within our body. These differing gifts that Paul speaks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 form us in such a way that we do and indeed must belong to one another. By Paul pointing the church to its common experience and grace of God's grace in baptism, Paul makes clear that we all share the same water, we all share the same promise, we all share the same spirit, and thus we are all equally a part of the same body. And therefore, our human polarities have been overcome by the water in which we have all been dumped. 
And because we have been, they have been overcome, we as a church, despite what the world is doing, we as a church are able to demonstrate a surprising and profound unity in Christ. Black or white, Asian, Hispanic, First Nation, single, married, citizen, undocumented, rich, poor, young, old, progressive, traditional, Democrat, Republican, homeless, mentally ill, all find their home in the beloved community of God. You see, I pray for the day. I pray for the day when the church starts fighting over spiritual gifts like it did in Paul's day. What a joy that fight would be. That we would actually talk about who is progressing more spiritually. But the reality of it is, is that our churches today are not fighting over which person is more spiritually mature. However, if you bring in these ethnic, social, and economic distinctions, well, often those times do begin to cause a stir. You see, it's in such disagreements, though, that we find ourselves called to recognize that diversity helps us to keep asking it forces us, when we are encountered with the other, to keep asking over and over again, what is God's will for us today? Instead of being trapped, like we often do, in the same old assumptions from years ago. Holy diversity is an important remedy for our tendency as a church towards complacency. This to return to my previous analogy of the community taking each other to court, is the heart of why Paul is so upset by such a thing. It is the people of God, Paul says, who should be formed in such a way to handle one another charitably in such matters. The world is not capable of such things, Paul thinks. Because the powers and principalities that exist in the world have been defeated, not transformed, like you and like me. You see, this image of the body as a communal reality, it's not unique to Paul. Other writers in the Roman world utilize this analogy all the time, particularly politicians and philosophers. And oftentimes when they use this notion of the body, they used it to support the hierarchy of the day. The point was that everyone needs a head. And in society, the head was always the wealthy. It was always the rulers. It was always the elite. And everyone needs hands and feet to do the hard and dirty work. And that was provided in society by just about everyone else that was not wealthy, powerful, and elite. The farther away you are from the head, the least valuable you are to the body. So Paul takes this analogy of his day and he turns it in a very different direction. 
The unity of the body does not, in fact, mean that the less honored members get abused and treated roughly. Rather, as Paul says, all the parts belong to one another. And therefore, if there is a weak member, they are always treated with special care. The end result of the body metaphor in Paul's hands is not the same old hierarchy of his day. Instead, it's a call to deep unity within the whole body where each part is cared for by the others. Friends, the church is tough work. If you came on Sundays so that you can have a day off and be renewed, then you came for the wrong reason. Because the church is the hardest place to exist. The church is the only place in America right now where people who disagree on 99.9% of everything throughout their week still yet choose to gather for one hour because they agree that Jesus Christ is Lord. The church is tough work. The person sitting next to you probably doesn't agree with you on everything. The church is not easy. The church as a people, therefore, cannot, because of our call, dismiss, impeach, or even shove aside members it does not like and members it disagrees with. Instead, the church is always called to enter the struggle of hearing each other's story. And together, yes, with those we even disagree with, we are called as a body to treat one another charitably enough that we can, in fact, still seek God's will for us today. We are called to celebrate that God is bringing in people from all areas of life. It does not mean that God is finished. It just means that when people respond to the call of God, that the gospel is alive and well. That the gospel is still nurturing and still transforming people. And we as a community of faith have a responsibility to own up on our end to these actions of God's kingdom and the world. When you leave the church, you don't represent yourself. Yourself has been given over in baptism to the body. Therefore, all the things that we say and all the actions we do reflect the body of Christ. And therefore, that is why Paul says that whatever strengthens the community, that is what the church should seek after. That is what the church should welcome. And that is what that should be nurtured as God's good gift. And as Paul says, if learning to celebrate the differences of, and diversity as a people going on to perfection, people who are not yet there yet but going on, Paul says if that's hard to do, it gives us a secondary hope, a more excellent way, a way of love. And that will be a discussion saved for next week. I offer this to you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Yeah.